Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the podcast that gets to know the hikers behind the trekking poles, the podcast that asks the why questions of hiking in the outdoors, the podcast that asks hikers and outdoors persons, how has hiking in the outdoors changed you and how are you changing the world around you? That's right. You're listening to the Hiker Podcast. Hiker Podcast is brought to you by some amazing sponsors. I do want to first off thank Sawyer Products. You're going to hear more from Sawyer Products here in just a few minutes. Uh, they sponsored a, a, a block of episodes here, and I'm excited to be working with them. I've uh, had a chance to work with them on some reels, too, on my Instagram. So they have been, oh, they've always been awesome. They were the first sponsor ever of the show. So big up to Sawyer Products. Also, you cannot forget CS Instant Coffee, makers of the best instant coffee on the trail. Ian and Monica always doing amazing things over there at CS Instant Coffee. Uh, go to the link in the description of this episode to get yours. Helps out the show as well. And that's just really, really good coffee. Um, I often use it as my main coffee, like in the morning, like not when I'm on the trail. It's that good. And I'm a huge coffee snob. I say it every week. And of course, you can't forget. Oh, you know what it is. Kanaka Outdoors, makers of the carbon fiber cork trekking poles. Check them out. They're amazing. Link in the bio. Thank you to all our sponsors for helping us out and to the Patreons who make this show possible week in and week out. If you want to support the show on Patreon, just go to the link in the description of this episode or for all the information about our sponsors and everything, go to hikerpodcasts.com. And the music you're currently listening to is on a playlist on Spotify. Uh, this song is called Kindred Spirits by Analog Heart. And if you want to listen to this or any of the music that you hear on the hiker podcast i had someone actually message me the other day like what song is this on this and i'm like go over to the spotify playlist it's all there all the music i have on the show is licensed through musicbed.com and i put it in a playlist every week on spotify um a lot of times what you hear is just the music only no vocals but i have the vocal version on the playlist on spotify that will be in the description of this episode or uh just go to hikerpodcast.com or just go on Spotify, search Hiker Podcast, you'll see the podcast and you'll see a playlist with all the music week in and week out. Uh, if you want to follow us, you know where to go. Follow me at Andy Films and Hikes or at Hiker Podcast on Instagram. There's a Facebook group. I don't know if many of you know this. Um, Hiker Podcast has a Facebook group. Don't really advertise it too much, but I would love to see more people on there. I would love to see that group grow and, 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 and uh, thrive as people talk about hiking and how hiking has changed them and how they are changing the world around them so uh just search for the facebook group on facebook just put in hiker podcast and groups and you will find the hiker podcast i am so excited to have our next guest dara blackwater was on the show uh beginning of season two so last year so excited to have her back on the show had an amazing conversation last time and even more amazing conversation this time. We talk about so many different things and it, it's really, it's been a journey for me as I have gotten to the outdoors and learned about the land that I'm hiking on and the people who are here before us and that this land that I'm hiking on uh, was stolen um, from the indigenous people who were 
here for millennia before us. And there's so much um, to learn about what happened, where you're at, where you're recreating, where you're hiking, where you're enjoying the outdoors. Because if you're in North America, you're hiking, you're recreating on public lands and it belongs to someone else before you. You are on indigenous land. And I think it's important for us to understand that. And so it was really a great conversation to have with Dara about a number of things, public lands and uh, trauma and um, just um, so much stuff. And listen through the whole conversation. It was a great conversation. We had a great time. Um, she was recently featured on Vice News and uh, co-produced a documentary about the digital divide on native reservations as well as spectrum sovereignty i encourage you to check that out that will be in the description of this episode and yeah had a really good conversation and i'm excited to have her on again so without any further ado my conversation with runner hiker and advocate dara blackwater We're Sawyer, and since 1984, we've been creating technically better solutions for peace of mind in the outdoors. Why? Because we believe everyone deserves to be safe. We believe nature wants to be explored. We believe industry standards should be exceeded. We believe nonprofits deserve some of ours. And we believe the outdoors is a place for community from the backcountry to the backyard. We're more than an outdoor company, and we believe a thank you is due to anyone who supports our products. Because of you, we spent a decade teaming up with over 140 charities in 80 countries, bringing Sawyer water filtration systems to people in need all around the world. You help us aid refugees, disaster zones, and life-saving efforts around the world, perhaps without even knowing it. So thank you from everyone here at Sawyer. Together, we are saving millions of lives. I love about this podcast is having guests who've been on before and, and catching up with them and, and, and seeing what they've been up to, not only on the trail and the outdoors, but also um, with, with their advocacy work and, and changing the world around them. And part of this podcast is finding out how the outdoors has changed people and how they're changing the world around them. And one of my favorite interviews I have ever done is with Dara Blackwater and Dara Blackwater is on the show. How are you doing today, Dara? I'm so good. That's such a nice compliment. So just catch everybody up with what you've been up to. You were on first episode of season two. We're in the middle of season four now. Uh, who wow. you are and what you've been up to. Yeah, it's been crazy. Cool. Well, um, for all my Diné, my Navajos listening, I'll do my intro. So Dara Blackwater, Yenishia, Besh Pachai, Nishle, Dodsen, Ajini, Bashish, Chin, Ado Besh Pachai, Dashiche, Ado Tajini, Dashinale. And... That's my clan introduction. So I'm not sure if I explained this last time, but as Diné people, we do our introductions of what clans we're from. And it's just sort of one of those things that when you meet another Navajo or another Native person, you just say like, you know, this is this is the people, the community and the uh, the people that I come from. And so mine is Bish um, Bichain means uh, like metal hat. My mom is, uh, we would say, Biligana, which is like an Anglo person. She's from uh, like German descendants and Dutch descendants. And in Navajo, they, for 
some reason I've heard different reasonings, but they call them metal hat people, German people. And so um, the metal hat clan is my first clan. And then Tsina uh, uh, Jenny is my dad's mom. And she's from the Black Streak Wood clan. She's from St. Michael's, Arizona. And then uh, my mom's dad is Beshbachani. He is a uh, metal hat, German descendants as well. And then uh, Tach Ini is red running to water. And that's uh, my dad's dad. And he's from Oljeto, which is um, Monument Valley. Have you ever been out to Monument Valley, Utah, Andy? I have not been out there oh, yet. It's so beautiful. I, I, it's gorgeous area. I know. I, and it's funny because I lived around there. I lived, uh, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and I lived in Las Vegas oh. for years. So I never, I never got out there. I was always Where around the Grand Canyon. Now? I am in Southern Oregon in the ancestral lands of the Tacoma people uh, whose land was taken away in the 1850s mm. and they were moved to the uh, the tribe in the, the uh, reservation in the Grand Ronde up in the Willamette Valley called the uh, Rogue Valley Trail of Tears. Uh, very few people mm. know about that. The U.S. Army forcibly moved them 300 miles up there. That is my yeah, I didn't know about that. home. Yes. So. Okay. Oregon, I hear is beautiful. I've never been to Oregon or Washington. I really want to. It's kind of next on my list. Oh, it's gorgeous up here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I bet. Absolutely love it. So you've really kind of been out there um, since we last time we talked. You, We talked a lot about spectrum sovereignty and the digital divide. Since mm -hmm. that time, you um, were on Vice News. You did a doc with Vice News about this yeah. issue. Um on on the reservations with 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 the the, the native people how there's just a huge digital divide and this idea of spectrum sovereignty that there's spectrum on native land that's owned by the the tribes that is being sold by places like spectrum or verizon or things like that and you want that back let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing with that in, in the documentary and, and that issue a little bit yeah, a few adjustments to that explanation is it's being sold by the Federal Communications Commission, which FCC, is the right, yes. agency of the federal government, but being sold to those entities that you listed. And um, yeah, so it's a I see it as a natural resource spectrum for anyone who doesn't know. You can think of it just as like radio waves. Um, it's short for electromagnetic spectrum. And you can listen to our first episode. I think I did a thorough explanation there or you can watch mm -hmm. the Vice video. Um, that I will, was link, such that, I will cool link that project. in the description. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that was such a cool project. Worked with just incredible people. The Vice News crew was really great and we had a really good time. Um, I filmed it. Also with my cousin, Shandine Herrera, and she lives out at Monument Valley and she um, she runs the community center out there, which is one of the only places where people out there can get internet, a good internet connection and, you know, print papers and do whatever sort of legal work or schoolwork or whatever they want to out there. And um, it saves a lot of people a lot of time and gas money, which is extremely valuable, especially in this climate. So, um, yeah, the Vice videos, it was a cool project and it's out there for the world. I, I think it's called, well, you're going to link it, so it doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, people can check it out. I haven't looked at it since it published because I made the mistake of reading like three comments and I was like, oh, yeah, I never want to see this again. But uh, it's a good educational tool for sure. And I'm super stoked that it's out there. So I was absolutely amazed by that documentary. Um this uh, like the lengths people would have to go to to get internet you drive you know off the reservation into town to go to, to find a starbucks a coffee house a, a 70 library. miles people 70 were having miles. to commute yeah and you're sitting in your car you know I, 
having lived in Las Vegas and born in Phoenix, I, Southwest, it's hot. It's hot yeah. nine months out of the year and you're sitting in your car. You don't want to have the AC going to, you know, wait, wasting fuel there. So in your car for hours at a time doing your, your work, you know, work, schoolwork, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just you talk a lot about this in the documentary, but I just want to touch on it a little bit. What, what work is being done, uh, advocacy is being done to bring, to, to help close this digital divide on, on native lands? Um, I would say that different organizations are approaching it different ways. So there's a lot of lobbying in Congress for um, more funding. There's a lot of people doing work with the, you know, the incumbents and the players who are already in specific areas trying to make better deals and educate the incumbents about, you know, what sovereignty is and and why it's important to respect sovereignty on native land. Um, Even if the federal government isn't making these, you know, non-governmental agencies or, you know, corporations respect tribal sovereignty, they can still choose to do so if they're operating on tribal land and to be cooperative with those tribes and and allow tribes to benefit from the infrastructure that's on their land or going through their land. Um, so that can mean things like, um, you know, making a deal to share fiber that's going through tribal land and not just pass by a tribal community, but to split some of that fiber off and create, you know, an opening where the tribal community can benefit from the fiber that's going through their land and and different things like that. So, um, you know, there's not, there are 574 at this moment, I think, federally recognized tribes and then even more non-federally recognized tribes. There's state recognized tribes and then there's tribes that have never sought any sort of recognition because they're like, we're sovereign and it doesn't matter who recognizes that or doesn't. Um, And then we have, you know, Native Alaskan and Native Hawaiian tribes, um, or what they don't call themselves tribes, they're nations. Um, And they have completely different political structures and they're having to advocate on completely different levels as well. So um, yeah, it really just depends like where we are, what community we're talking about. And that's, that's what, that's where the needs change. That's where the landscape changes literally and figuratively as far as what that community needs. So there has to be done not only on a a nationwide advocacy level, but also at the local level and working not only with the FCC, but with the separate corporations that, that control the fiber optic lines that go through tribal land or, you know, through, through sovereign nations, through, you know, wherever it goes that's a there's a lot of layers there yeah to give them the access that they deserve on their land exactly because you also add states into the equations because oftentimes um, the federal government will disperse funding through the state governments and then it's up to the state to fund or not fund tribal projects from there which sometimes works really great in states that are really cooperative with tribes and and have good re- relationships with their you know nation to nation relationships um but then there's other states where it's really hostile towards tribes and they when they have have the purse strings they're not going to share that and disperse that in a way that's equitable and it absolutely flabbergasting as i as i watch different documentaries and and learn more about um these issues with with, with tribal sovereignty not only with internet but with also you know public lands and controlling public lands lands that are sacred people like to make this whole issue a monolith like oh it's one it's it's tribal issues you know public land fiber optics but we have to remember maybe you can speak this a little bit 
as I've educated myself, you know, I came, I come from a very, very white European background. I'm like, oh, what's happening here, like in the Rogue Valley of Southern Oregon, what happened with the Kelma people is very different than what happened just south of us with the Shasta people and what they've dealt with. It's it's not a monolith. It's a it, it's there's all different kinds of of issues with 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 different tribal um, um, treaties and the dealing with the states. How does one educate themselves, or would you suggest them educating themselves on what's going on in their local area when it comes to the digital divide and tribal sovereignty and things of that nature? Knowing that this isn't an issue that's a catch-all for everyone in the United States. Well, uh, the listeners I didn't realize that's a very, already... <laughs> that's a very big question. It's a very big question. I know they're they're already ahead of the game because they're listening to this podcast. So whoever you are, you're doing a great job already. Um, but I would kind of turn that around to ask you because I think you almost have a better perspective of how to do that than I do. Like I'm in it, you know, I, this is what I eat and breathe every day. Um, but you not being from a native community, um, but being affected by, you know, being on their land and these things that you've, that you've educated yourself, you've come such a long way from, it sounds like your background. So I'm curious how you've done it and, um, how you continue to do it and what steps you would suggest other people take to, to help get them on that path as well for myself and thank you for asking that um it it starts with google get on google and start looking and there's a lot of good information out there there's a lot of bad information out there and it's part of it's you know having a a sense of of digital literacy and media literacy knowing what good sources of bad sources are um and surprisingly enough a lot of federal agencies do have a lot of good resources the bureau of land management um, but most importantly, find the find the tribal organizations in your state and in your area. Um, for so long, I knew okay, this area was was once the the tribal homeland, sister lands of the Takelma people. And so I'm just sitting there looking for Takelma. Where's the Takelma tribe? Where's the reservation? What's going on? And then you know, I take the time and you know, start reading the signs by the trails on the Table Rocks, which were sacred plateaus to the Takelma people along the Rogue River, which was a sacred river, which they did their salmon salmon ceremony every year um, mm. to bring in the fishing season. Um, I just start reading the signs and educating myself, and find out that the Takelma people, as as a federally recognized tribe, no longer exists. They were brought up to the Willamette Valley um, and on a, on a reservation with several other tribes in the Northwest. And they were just brought there. And I think only there's only six people on earth who actually claim complete Takelma heritage. You know, they can, they can take their line back all the way there. hundred percent. They, they know that um, because of what the U S army did with the Rogue Valley trail of tears. But that took, that's a, two years of me just researching and finding out mm. because I was wanting, I was wanting to give money to tribal organizations or tribal organizations that work with tribes on the land I was hiking on. And I hiked so much in Southern Oregon. So it just, it just took being relentless and looking and and, you know, Googling and even making some phone calls and writing emails and just finding out what happened. Um, Cause all these places are named after, you know, there's Tacoma Gorge and Tacoma Falls and to, you know, all this, mm-hmm. all this stuff. But who are these Takelma people? No one seems to know. Um, and I'm still learning. I still have a lot to learn. I want to go up to, to the Lima Valley and learn more about the, their heritage and put a and put a spotlight on it, on what's happening on the Rogue Valley Trail of Tears. Um, you know, people think of the Trail of Tears and it, it, it was a horrific 
terrible genocidal event. Uh, Grove Valley Trail, tears 350 Tekelma people were brought up through Oregon to the Willamette Valley. And very few many people know about that and just to be able to shine a light on that. But mm-hmm. you don't know if you don't look. And you have to be willing to look. And I've found a lot of people who are of white European background like myself, there's, there's, they, they suffer from white guilt. And I get that. I understand that. But I don't think anybody wants white people to feel guilty. I think we need to stand up given the privilege that we have and be like, hey, we're hiking, we're recreating, we're living on occupied, stolen land. Let's at least recognize that and learn all we can about it. So that's where that that's that's where I've been um, as a you know as, as a white Anglo-Saxon formerly Protestant person hiking and advocating for public lands. Um, I just want to learn as much as I can. So just it takes you have to want to do it. You can't just do one Google search and be like, oh, I can't find anything because that's what I started mm-hmm. out doing. Yeah, I had to yeah. really a push and of, find that information. Right, because a lot of that information that, that's is a long not explanation. readily available. <laughs> what I've been it's doing, buried. Um, and yeah. I have a lo- I have a long way to go. Long way to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. I, and it sounds like they do exist maybe in a different way. Um, and that, you know, we're still talking about them. And so they're still very much in the present and, and it's what's interesting, especially in like Oklahoma, I lived last year in Tulsa and I learned so much about the different histories of tribes and, and what, native people look like today and how it's not always how you would expect native people to look. And and these are huge questions that where a lot of tribes mm-hmm. are having right mm-hmm. now around identity. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've heard the term pretendian, but it's kind of this phenomenon right now that's happening where people are claiming native ancestry or native identity who, who don't have a right to claim it and who are doing it for the benefits. And because it's kind of becoming like this trendy, mm-hmm. cool thing to be now. Um, whereas, you know, Every year leading up to like these present times, it was not trendy or cool to be native. It was very dangerous to be native. And our families survived a lot in order for us to exist here today. And so um, it's sort of the pretendian thing is sort of like taking the benefits of like being a native in the present day without any of the the negative parts of it and the realness of it that can be sometimes really heart-wrenching. And so what you're talking about is, um, well, let me finish what I'm saying about identity here. These are huge, really existential questions for a lot of Native communities because what the government did in their policy um, way back in the day was they created blood quantum. And so this is the idea that uh, you are only a certain percentage of native. And as native people, we get asked all the time, well, like what percent are you? What, how much of an Indian are you? Or like, even in court cases, they'll identify people by their fraction of nativeness. Mm -hmm. And this is completely contrary to the one drop rule for black people, where for them, it was, if you are one drop, if you have one drop of black ancestry, then you are black. And so for the, them, policy was multiplying because it benefited rich white people to have a lot more black people that they could, um, you know, 
do enslave and profit mm-hmm. off of. And then for Native people, they wanted us to go away. So it became not um, to, to multiply us, but to fractionate us until eventually we would become no longer. And so this is the policy that we're now trying to figure out how to how to frame our policy of identity for Native communities so that we don't disappear, um, but also retain our, um, you know, retain that identity, which a lot of people are saying is like very much in the songs that you know, and very much in the language that you speak, and very much in the the community that you're brought up in, much more so than blood quantum. You know, you can be, uh, you know, quote unquote, a full native who's never stepped foot on a reservation and never, um, never heard a song or never heard the language spoken, which exists because of how many native people and native children were taken from their native communities and adopted out to white families. So then there's these questions of like, okay, if you're quote unquote, a full blood native, um, but you don't know any of this stuff, what does that process look like to bring you back to this community and reconnect and teach you about what it actually, what, what your identity as a native person actually means? Um, and this all sort of gets even more complicated when we're talking about uh, uh, the, the political status of being Native, because the thing about being, uh, you know, the federal um, legal term is Indian. So to be an Indian in the eyes of the law, it's not a race-based classification. It's a political classification. So I am a citizen of the Navajo Nation, just like I am a citizen of the American nation, uh, you know, the United States of America, just like a French person is a citizen of the nation of France. And so it's not just about blood and race. It's also about this political identity that we have under these sovereign nations, of which there are, you know, over 500 so it's it's messy and it's complicated and these are really big questions that we all have to answer and then it gets uh concentrated into these communities right and these people in these communities we all have different stories and i think the big lie of america is to say well, it all happened so long ago, nobody really remembers when, like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we in these native communities were like, no, we remember. We, yeah, we, there's we a know generational names. trauma. There's all that. Oh, there's stories that were passed down. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting in America at this moment, there are stories about that place. And there is a history. Maybe it's an oral history. And maybe that's something that needs to be recorded and protected. Or maybe that's something that people just want to keep with them. And, and these are things that you don't know until you start asking the questions that it sounds like you've been asking. And there's not a lot of resources the American education system completely fails us when it comes to a true history of, um, you know, what happened in America and, and what the policies were to um, to promote genocide the, and, and completely eradicate and then uh, to remove and then to terminate Native peoples. And, uh, and that's still, pieces of that are still ongoing today. So, yeah, uh, to to understand how these po- these big policies affect your area and listen to what the stories are in that area, I think is is so important. 
Exactly. And every area is different. Every geolog every um, geographical place is different. Um, one thing I think it's important to point out is the educational system in the United States has completely failed um, our youth and our, our youth in, in educating on what happened here. Only education I got on what happened with, with Native Americans was Custer last, last stand. And I went to a conservative evangelical Christian private school. So that perspective was also very, very skewed that Custard was a good guy. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of unlearning to do when I left, when I left that, when I left that culture. Sure. Um, and so, but even in the public school setting, it, it's the, they, they talk about it, but then that's like all that happened. Like Custer's last stand. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Like my own kids, they, they, they learn this. And I'm like, um, there's so much more to this. Oh my gosh. And, and you have to, we have to educate our children. Um, no matter who you are, or where you come from about the land that we're on. With that said, though, uh, I want to talk about something you've been passionate about lately, Oak Flat, yeah. and protecting those, those public lands and what's been going on. And this is an issue that we, we've seen, especially in the Southwest, um, with developers coming in and wanting to mine and do all kinds of things. Um, talk about your advocacy work for Oak Flat. Sure. Um, so I'll give kind of a 10,000 foot view of it. And then if anybody wants to learn more, you can Google it and learn, you know, exactly what's happening with the policy and, and what you can do to take action and support. But um, yeah, talking about land and, you know, being on the land and running, this was the most recent run that I've done, uh, which was so cool. So there, we had a gathering last month at Oak Flat. And for anyone who doesn't know, Oak Flat is land in Arizona. Um, it's north of Phoenix, not too far from where you're from, Andy. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful land. And there's all these copper mines in that area. It's a very copper rich part of our country. And Oak Flat is a place that is sacred to the San Carlos Apache tribe. It's where they go to do their women's ceremonies, where girls become women. And so this is a really special place to those people. And what has happened is that the United States Congress transferred that land to this company called Resolution Copper. They're a mining company. They obviously mine copper. And they want to blow this place up to mine the copper and essentially turn this place into a sinkhole that will sink, I think it's like 800 feet down into the ground. So this place will no longer be, you know, this, what it's been for thousands and thousands of years, the sacred place where the San Carlos Apache can go to do their ceremonies for their girls to become women. So, um, you know, there's demonstrations and what we were doing was this demonstration where there were, it was a solidarity run where indigenous runners were coming in from, well, indigenous and non-indigenous runners were coming in from all four directions. So um, people came from Flagstaff, from Globe, from Phoenix, and from Tucson. And I went to law school down in Tucson, down at U of A, and I was invited um, by some of my friends who are down there, they're um, Pasquayaki and Tahana Otham, and they invited me to run up from the south with them. And so they ran, I think, for about a day and a half. I think it was 80 miles um, that they ran. And I joined just for the last bit. Uh, you know, I I was like um, <laughs> Paul Rudd finishing Friends or something where I was like, we did it. <laughs> but um 
yeah, so we we went all the way and it was incredible. We camped once we got there. They fed us. It was this beautiful gathering of speakers and music and dancing together. And we just really got to enjoy that space, pray in that space. And I had heard about Oak Flat. Um, my second year of law school, I was out in Washington, D.C. working for a federal Indian law firm, and I actually got to work a little bit and do some research on the Protect Oak Flat bill. And there have been a couple different bills and updates to try to save this land. Um, And I don't know actually exactly. I studied up on it before I went there, and everyone will have to go and read about it to learn exactly where they are now. But um, yeah, it's a really important issue and uh, and just it really like it got me like just to understand the importance of a place like that. And if we take from it, then it will just never be the same. And yet that's balanced against, you know, this movement toward green energy and, you know, copper is a, is a great conductor, semiconductor, and that's exactly what we need to uh, create like these electric cars to and use greener energy and and do what everybody is wanting us to do to combat climate change, um, and yet this is the cost and who's bearing it the San Carlos Apache tribe and so it's it's really complicated I don't have any answers I just have you know what is in my heart which is all this messiness to sit with and this is an issue that especially in the Southwest, we see happening all over tribal lands where developer will, will, will want to come in. There is a resource there. There's, um, whether it's a precious metal or tourists, um, dollars or whatever, come in and extract something from the land that, that belongs to native people that belongs to the people who've, who've occupied that land for, you know, millennia. Um, so if, on that issue particularly, but what are, what are some things that anyone can do to help advocate for things of that nature, like Oak Flat, to tell their you know representatives this is not something that we support, it's not something that needs to happen. Uh, what are some things, that, steps that the average average everyday person can take? Oh, that would definitely just be reaching out, make yourself familiar with who your senators are, who your um, state representatives are, and. Um... And just, you know, let it be known. Just let them know that you support the protect. I think it's called protect Oak Oak flat bill. Um, I'll send you a a link to the website. I think there's sort of a centralized place where they have all their information and, you know, figure out uh, how to organize and, and how to help. And it's called, I think it's called Apache stronghold, but we'll, I'll send it over to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, there. What else do you you have going on? You 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 know you've completed law school. You're constantly advocating um, for you know spectrum spectrum sovereignty and 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 the digital divide and all of these issues. What what does the next year to five years look like for you as a, a person who loves the land and the outdoors, as a person who's advocating um, for equality and tribal rights? What what does the future look like for you right now? That's such a great question that I'm not going to answer because I can't yet. 
But um, I will say what the next uh, week looks like for me, which is a plug for the next project I'm working on to support the Native Community Health Network. So when I was out at Oak Flat, they have all these devil's claw. Do you know what a devil's claw is? I saw your post about it, yeah. Uh, they're so cool and so like crazy and beautiful. If you don't know what it is, Google it for the listeners. Um, but I picked up a few of these devil's claw and... I just think that they're so beautiful and so cool. So um, the this is kind of a full circle thing for me because the reason that I went to law school in the first place was because I was working out in a small community. It's called Denahotso in um, on the Navajo Nation. And this was uh, – I was done with my bachelor's, but I was sort of just spinning my wheels and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was doing a little bit of social work. And um, so I was teaching a teen outreach program out in Denahotso. And because it was a state-funded program by the state of Arizona, we had to do it the way that – we had to teach our children the way that they – told us to, which was for the sex ed part of this program, we had to teach it abstinence only, mm-hmm. which yeah. was like, you don't get to tell them anything. You don't get to talk about birth control. You know, you can't tell them about condoms or the pill or, or any sorts of options. And, um, and it really bothered me because so many of these kids were already sexually active and it was so obvious that they were just blowing us off. And, um, and it's because we weren't respecting them by giving them a real education. And um, abstinence-only sex ed empirically just does not work and can actually have the opposite effect. So it just didn't make any sense. I felt like I was wasting my time. I felt like I was wasting their time. And um, and I was frustrated. I didn't know at the time. But what I was frustrated about was this idea of what we were doing was lacking self-determination. And self-determination and sovereignty kind of go hand in hand. Self-determination is the policy era of the federal government that we are in regarding Native nations where, you know, they they essentially over the years realize like, okay, well, we can't eradicate them all and we already moved them, but they have to be there and we can't terminate them as tribes because we have all these treaties. So now I guess we're going to go into the self-determination era where they get to determine whatever, you know, they get to have the sovereignty with limits and the determination to you know, educate their kids and do their law enforcement and do what whatever they want with their land. And um, education is a huge part of that because for so long, our kids were taken away to boarding schools where, um, you know, they were very much abused and um, indoctrinated with a lot of doctrines of Christianity and, and all of these things that Native Native nations have never uh, subscribed to before settlers arrived here. And so education is huge because to be able to educate our kids the way that we want to is really, really important for our future, especially coming back to what I said about identity and language and songs and and all that sorts of uh, sort of information. And so um, so what I was feeling when we weren't allowed to educate our kids the right way, you know, thoroughly, what it, uh, it was this lack of self-determination and lack of sovereignty. And when I realized it was because it was grant funded and, you know, the money and look at wherever the power is, the money is, I realized like, okay, I'm probably going to have to go to law school to make the kinds of changes that I want in this world for my people. 
And so that's really what took me to law school. And when I was looking at this devil's claw out at Oak Flat and sitting in this place that is so significant to women and so significant to, you know, our future, um, these like women become girls becoming women and eventually possibly, you know, bearing the people who will continue on and become our future. Um, the devil's claw really, it looks kind of, it looks like a uterus and I just think it's so cool. And so what I want to do is um, I created a block print. I'm going to finish it today, actually. So I'll probably post about it later today or tomorrow when this comes out. And um, I'm going to block print it onto probably bags. Um, I did it last week, not last week, last year I did this fundraiser, but I did it on t-shirts, which was a little bit difficult. So this year I'm going to do it on bags and it's going to support the Native Community Health Network. And what they do is essentially they're geared toward working with indigenous communities in the Southwest, um, sexual health, reproductive justice, education, advocacy, outreach, you name it. They're doing all this incredible work um, that benefits largely women, but everyone in these Native communities. And and so I'm going to uh, print this uh, carving that I made out of a devil's claw and put it on bags and sell those. People can purchase them until they're sold out, and that money will go to the Native Community Health Network. And and so that's the big project that I'm working on currently. That is so awesome, and yeah. uh, we'll make sure we link to where you can get to those. And if, if, just, just closing out, if somebody wanted to follow what you were doing, um, everything that you're up to, where would they go? Mostly on Instagram. Um, I do have a website, blackwatersoul.com, and that has all my videos. Um, I did a big run in Creed, Colorado last year, um, and you can see my vlog um, doing that run. I felt like I was going to die. I'm sure you felt that before too, Andy, on some of these hikes, especially with altitude. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff up there. I have a question for you before we go. Sure. I am interested in hearing you talk about, uh, well, wh- one, the experience of, cause you've gone viral since we last spoke, <laughs> yeah, you know, yes, you made this yes. video that made me laugh out loud. I loved it so much about, uh, going on a stupid hike for your stupid mental health. And, um, and so I'm curious one about like, your journey with mental health or your thoughts about that and and what it's been like to bring that to the forefront of conversation. And I'm sure there's kind of two sides to that coin. I'm just kind of curious, like what that's what the whole journey has been like. You are always the only interviewee who interviews me back and I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, so the whole the whole thing has been kind of insane because I've always loved social media. I've, I've always I've worked for, with brands, um, you know, before, before I went viral, I'd work with Columbia and Eddie Bauer and, um, I worked for different organizations for, uh, as like a social media manager. So something I've always just loved doing. And I just made this video. It's in this area. I just love it's, it's a beautiful area. Um, it, I just love to sit there. It's got this little mile loop. I just do, I drop my daughter off. She goes to a, she goes to a charter school. I drop her off. Uh, and then I just go drive there before I hit my day. And just kind of you know reset prepare myself for the day and uh i saw this trend of the stupid it was a stupid walk going for a stupid mm. walk for my stupid mental health i'm like well i can do that for hiking and i'll just like oh well i'll just drive there i have my tripod my, my my camera with me i'll just go do it real quick and i posted it and then before i got back into town because we were out we we're out in the wilderness a little bit it got ten thousand views in like 20 minutes i'm like oh my gosh and then before you know it i'm at 
I'm at stinking like 37 million and I got news people calling me. And <laughs> so that, that it was just insane because you have all these people just calling you and wouldn't talk to you and your attention. All of a sudden your followers go through the roof and mm-hmm. I had all these plans before, you know, and now it's like, well, I get to use leverage this opportunity to provide for my family, um, have more flexibility. Um, but as far as the mental health aspect of it is concerned, um, I'm a huge advocate for um, saying saying it's okay that I'm not okay. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. I've struggled with anxiety and depression. Uh, I come from uh, a background of my, my mother was a, uh, my mother abused drugs um, that deeply affected me. Um, you know, child protective services was involved. Um, so that was that, that those things deeply affected me. And then as I, I, I most of my most listeners know I was a pastor for 15 years. And when I came out of, of my Christian upbringing and background in my career, and I left all that, there was just this huge, just kind of gaping existential hole in my life where all these big questions in my life, I thought I had answered were no longer there. I was doubting everything. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's when I started going to counseling and going to therapy and dealing with past traumas and, um, just trying to figure, figure things out. And I tell the story a lot where, um, I'm talking with my, my therapist and and I'm talking to her about, you know, just kind of the big existential questions like, why are we here? Why were we created? I had all these answers before I taught these answers before. I mean, mm. you talked about absence only education. I was a huge, the first 10, my first 10 years of being, being a, a, a youth pastor, I was a huge advocate of absence only education and silver ring thing, true love weights, all that stuff. I had um, one. Oh, I did too. <laughs> I did too. Um, but my last five years, I really was like, oh, wow this isn't working like we're actually hurting kids that that silver ring becoming their shame ring now and mm-hmm. and that's how it's part of the reason why i slowly started backing away because i'm like what i'm what i'm teaching isn't working for me and it's definitely not working for these kids <laughs> so yeah that and just so dealing with that and she has suggested you know try going in the outdoors try going on a hike and it was just kind of a, a passive thing and i did it and just fell in love mm. with hiking in the outdoors and how healing the land has been for me, how healing the outdoors is. Um, and I tell people all the time that, you know, hiking in the outdoors doesn't take the place of therapy. You know, don't go for a hike and stop taking your medication. Don't do those things, you know, work with your, your counselors, your therapists, your um, whoever it is you, you work with um, what you do, but yeah. the outdoors has been very therapeutic for me and very healing for me. Um, and so having also adopted three kids from foster care, two with high trauma, high special needs who will need, who have severe mental health, um, and trauma impacts from the abuse they suffered before they came into our home. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm seeing how sickening and horrible our mental health care system is in the United States. Um, and my, 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 my wife, she, um, has a master's and bachelor's degree in education and she is constantly on the phone right before this, we were on, we were on the phone with, um, you know, special ed people and, you know, her, their counselors and therapists trying to get in the therapy they need. And mm-hmm. it, it's just an impossible labyrinth of things to, to unwrap and red tape to cut through. And my wife is, you know, she took college classes on how to deal with special education and, you know, um, childhood development and dealing with trauma. And so I just super passionate about 
the healing effects of the outdoors. It's the one place where I've seen my my two oldest kids who had who have the mental health issues and the trauma. I've seen them. I, I use this in air quotes. Act normal when they're yeah. in the outdoors. When we're camping. When we're backpacking. That's when I see. That's when I see them at themselves. They're when thriving. I see who they they're thriving. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just a huge advocate of and want to push out. It's okay to not be okay in the outdoors. The land is so healing and that's also led me to you know discovering you know more about the land that i'm hiking on the conversation i had with you year a year ago has led me down that path as well and it's like Mm -hmm. wow the people who were on this land millennia before us knew that and they've known that (laughs) things like the wildfire issues we're having in this area our our government our local county government are going to the native people here and like how how do we deal with this yeah and they're like yeah um we've been dealing with this for a while we need to do some prescribed burn you know we we've been doing this before you got here and then you guys just started screwing everything up and whole city of you know phoenix oregon and and town oregon got burned down because our fire management we didn't listen to the people who were here before us yeah (laughs) i have a couple plugs on well on that issue um i have this podcast it's called determination d-e-t-e-r-m-i dash nation and um it's again coming back to the concept of self-determination and this one interview i everyone go listen to this it's my one of my favorite ones, but, um, I interviewed this woman from the Yurok tribe and she's on their cultural fire management council. Her name is that's, Elizabeth. That's near, here. that's near here. Yeah. 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 And, um, so she is partially in charge of doing these burns and educating people about it. And she was talking about the history of burns and how they were not a lot. They were totally outlawed for indigenous people to do burns. And when she was a kid, um, her elders would send her to go do it because they didn't think that they would shoot a kid who was starting a fire. But if an adult oh, wow. was doing it, they would shoot him. And um, and that has completely changed in her lifetime, thankfully, with her advocacy and others. They've turned it around where now they're actually getting grants from Cal Fire and working with Cal Fire and, and educating them about how to manage the forest that, like they've been doing, like you said, for thousands and thousands of years. So, um, yeah, it's called Determination. That episode is Elizabeth Azuz. And then the other thing, um, I don't think that we fully went into all of this uh But I remember the last conversation we had, I was like, oh, my God, we're such kindred spirits because of my background with the church and the religious trauma that I've sustained in my life. Um, I finally put that on paper. And so at uh, Blackwater's, well, uh, figurative paper, um, blackwatersoul.com, there's a tab that's, uh, I think I called it Healing While Indigenous, or maybe I changed it to Thriving While Indigenous. But um, that's my blog where... Last year, last summer, I had a total meltdown and like talk, hearing about your wife being an advocate and, you know, showing up for your children in that way is so amazing. But I also understand how hard it is, even when you have a degree in whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, You know, I was trying to get help. Um, I've taken antidepressants different times in my life to get me through certain eras. Um, and last summer was one of those, I went through this really awful breakup. And then like you said, like all these doors start opening where it's like, Oh, that's shit I've never dealt with. Oh, that's trauma that I've never touched before. Oh, there's that. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I hit the point last summer where I, I didn't, I didn't think that I wanted to live anymore. I didn't feel like I wanted to live anymore. And I was trying to get myself help 
And it was so hard. You know, I was, I don't have insurance because as Native people, we ha- we're supposed to have health care through Indian Health Services. It's a treaty right that we have. Um, but it can just be so bad. The the service and, and the how far out you have to schedule an appointment can be so detrimental. So I was trying to get myself help. I have a law degree in this sort of stuff. And uh, it was still so, so hard. And so, you know, for people who aren't as um, equipped or, or aren't as familiar with how systems work and how to advocate for themselves or others, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, so to read more about that, and finally I got myself help. Um, I started with BetterHelp, and then I got a therapist eventually through Indian Health Services, and and then now I have someone else who's fantastic. But um, to read kind of about that journey of like opening up my own religious trauma and looking at um, abuse that I sustained through uh, a youth minister when I was in um, high school was, it was, it helped me so much, but it was so hard. And I wrote it in a blog called, I think, like I said, I think it's called Healing While Indigenous. It's um, on my website, blackwatersoul.com. But yeah, I, I, Every time we talk, I feel like we have so much yeah. more to talk about. <laughs> so. And you, you talk about that because I, I think I've shared with you, my, my grandparents were, were missionaries on, on yeah. reservations for, yeah. for years. And I spent my junior high and high school years um, near near Chandler, Arizona and, and Casa Grande on the, on the uh, Pima Reservation. Every summer I'd spend there and, uh, you know, try to evangelize the natives um yeah. and you know like and i, I my, my, my grandfather's past and he was a, he was a missionary and pastor i truly mm-hmm. i truly believe he, he he loved the people there but you know anytime we spoke about you know he he the the different rituals that were going on there or sweat tents he's he'd call them it was just very negative and we need to bring him jesus and i was like yeah, eh, yeah, yeah. no no and just so just having that uh, that perspective like wow and never realizing the damage that was happening when I was there amongst it. And then looking back now, it's like, wow, it's just, it's just so much healing that needs to happen. And yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I went down to, I did mission trips with this church group in high school and we went down to new Orleans and I think about that now and I'm like, I was an indigenous girl going to colonize black people in poor mm. communities in new orleans and i'm just like whoa yeah healing yeah. is happening yes um on the other side of the question though there, there's two parts of your question i think um the the social media stuff of it uh it's been crazy weird because you talked about earlier you read the comments on on, on that doc you did um that that has been both like 95 percent of what i i have been, have been very positive and i love the the dms and messages i get about from people um mm-hmm. who aren't stereotypical outdoors persons who, who said you know I, I saw your reel and just encouraged me to get outside or encouraged me to go you know go for a walk go for a hike and then you get the other side of it it's like people i like i don't know where they're coming from and <laughs> i'm just like i'm like what on earth everything from you know you know, my appearance to, oh, you're just a snowflake. You're just a left coast snowflake. Mm. Um, why do you keep, you know, I, I've got, I've never used to get criticism for putting land acknowledgements, which I do on all my posts. I get harped on for that all the time, which, but I'm not complaining about that. I'm white Anglo-Saxon, formerly Protestant. I can take a little bit of criticism for people, you know, not liking my land acknowledgements on there. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, I just, I, the, the vitriol 
and I see, and I understand why so many people who, who go viral, um, just get offline completely after mm. a while. They just, the, the mental health, um, implications of it. It's just enormous knowing, you know, I can't walk, I can't walk through Ashland, Oregon anymore without being stopped, which is fine. I love it. And if you're listening to this, please stop, say hello. I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with that, but it's just like, it, there's a weird side of it that I'm still coming to grips with. Um, yeah. Cause I always get, Oh, you're that hiking guy. I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's weird when, you know, 37 million people have seen you looking like a dork hiking on, hiking on, um, on, um, on, well, what is sacred land? There's signs there that show it's, it's sacred land to the Tacoma people and yeah. you know, just encouraging people, um, to get outside for mental health. So it's, it's been yeah. weird. It's been crazy. Yeah, it is strange. And I I just try to stick to like, there are so many people that have been following me for years on Instagram, who are just like, so lovely, you know, mm-hmm. they they'll send me nice things, they'll say nice things to me. And those are the ones that I really like, am so encouraged by. And that's really kind of who I'm doing it for at this point, um, where like I, I've heard different talk show hosts and celebrities say like they just never read comments. They don't read reviews. They don't read comments. Yeah. And I think that's the way to do it because it is. Yeah, it's rough out there. And, and the, the, I just have to been coming to the realization that I've been given a platform and I can advocate for public lands and, and, and mental health and do good things with it and, and also have an opportunity to provide for my family. So that's what I'm going to do. And it's yeah. been, uh, it's been crazy and it's been it's been a wild ride. I feel like we could talk for another hour. I'm, I'm going to have you on the show again. We'll talk about. I know. About- yeah. Well, yeah. I'm super thankful for what you do. I'm super thankful for how you're utilizing your platform and I'm super thankful to be here. So thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you. And I, I do want, want to thank you. Our first conversation, uh, I alluded to this earlier, really kind of got me on the path because you had challenged me to kind of discover what's going on with, with the tribes and native lands around me for myself. Because I came mm. into our first conversation thinking of it more as a monolith, more as just a one issue, a one size fits all solution. And you challenged that for me, which really set me on a path of discovering um, the people and lands around me and everywhere I go. So I, w- I want to thank you for that. And I challenge all the listeners to do the same uh, wherever you're hiking, wherever you're recreating. I mean, even if you're going to stinking Disneyland, that's I have posts from Disneyland. <laughs> you know what? That was native land at one point. Before it was Disneyland, it was orange fields. Before that, it was belonged to native people. Find out Uh, what's going on. So, yeah. And I also like, I hope people can take that challenge as like something kind of exciting. Like it's almost like being a detective or something Mm -hmm. where it's, it's really cool history. Like it's really cool information. And, uh, and to, when you kind of start to, when it starts to click this full picture of like who these people are and were and how, how they've lived and what made sense and how cool it is. You know, it's, yep. it's actually a, a really fun process and I hope that people can, um, I hope that they can enjoy it and I hope that they can allow themselves to feel whatever they feel and be okay with that and just know that, you know, it's natural. And if you're feeling it's because you're probably like learning and things are clicking and you're getting it. And that's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Dara, thank you so much for coming on the show and everybody make sure thank to you, Andy. follow her on all the various social places and all the links will be in the description. Cool. I can't.
as always, thank you so much for listening through the entire episode. Uh, make sure you follow everything Dara is doing. Check out her Instagram. She's doing amazing work. Also, if you want any information about this week's episode, you can go to hikerpodcast.com, hit podcast. All the show notes, all that fun stuff is there. And make sure you check out our sponsors. You know who they are. CS Insta Coffee, Canuck Outdoors, and Sawyer Products. Um, they make this show possible, make it possible that I can spend time to produce and record these episodes. And I'm so thankful for them. As we're getting into springtime, guys, and you're going to be outdoors, uh, I talk about mental health a lot. We talked a little about mental health on this on this episode quite a bit. And the outdoors and moving your body can do amazing things, connecting with land and and spending time in in the desert, in the forests, on the shore is so healing. And I always want to emphasize to people while being in nature, forest bathing, hiking, walking through a park, it does not take the place of therapy. It does not, um, it will not take the place of medication maybe you're on or treatments you're, you're doing. It will, and it is therapeutic. And it has been for me. Uh, I've, I've dealt with anxiety for a number of years. I had panic attacks on the regular and at the suggestion of a therapist, I tried hiking in the outdoors and it changed my life. It hasn't cured my anxiety but it is a tool in my toolbox to help cope and deal with anxiety. And I am so thankful for it and for what it's done for me and my family. So I know a lot of times, as we talked about in this episode, getting mental health services is, is difficult. And if you can get them, if you are struggling, there is help and if you can get them. I'd encourage you to, but also the outdoors is an amazing tool to help you, um, in coping with so many different things that we deal with because there's so much stuff going on. We're coming out of a pandemic, so it would seem, fingers crossed, life has changed over the last two years. Life as we know it has changed, and it, it's it's um, there's a lot to deal with. And the outdoors is a very healing and therapeutic place that has done wonders for me. So that's my two cents for today. Uh, make sure you follow me at Andy Films and Hikes. You can go to hikerpodcast.com for all the information about what's going on with the show. If you want to help the show out, you can go to Patreon. Link for that is in the description. And without uh, anything else to say, um, I will bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hiker Podcast. <laughs>